The intro begins right now. Yeah, that's how we do it in the podcast. And take two. No, no we don't <laughs> do that anymore, dude. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing, but you know, that's how we fucking do it in these parts. We keep I it mean, real, keep it raw, keep it off fresh, authentic. When you've had a podcast for several years, you kind of lose the ability to become embarrassed, I think. It's, I mean, you start episode one and it's like all dignity out the door. So, you know. <laughs> no, you don't lose your dignity until you tell someone you have a podcast. That's mm. when you lose your dignity. The words are coming out of your mouth and you're trying to grab them as. Yeah. Uh, uh. But you know what's funny is like, I feel as though we kind of got early on the podcast thing because I feel like everyone has a podcast now. And we were getting we're on it places. where it was like a few people have a podcast. Most people, but not all people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We hadn't really saturated the market. It's like that 75% of white dudes in their 20s had it. Yeah. And then we we like, got in then. Now yes. it's 100%. So yeah. Did all right. Yeah. Early, early adopters. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that. Visionaries, I would say. Yeah, I think that's a correct word. Because that actually segues nicely into something that I watched this week. Oh, I yeah. know we're moving on quite quickly, but. We've all got places to be. We're busy. Oh, fuck you. Yeah, um, I watched the the most recent episode of the Comedy Store, which is a five part docu series on the Comedy Store in LA that kind of goes through its inception and then like the eras of comedy that came through that scene. And this most recent episode was the um, titled "The Return of Joe Rogan," and it really centered around the. Um, the I guess the events and the timelines of like you know when Joe Rogan first came to the comedy store when he got banned and, and why he came back, um, but also really centered around podcasting and and how that has changed the comedy industry mm. and this idea that you know I think the best way that it was put was uh, Bert Kreischer talked about his I guess development and that he was a host for Travel Channel. And then basically um, Rogan and, and his crew kind of said, quit, quit. Like, you're trash. This is bad. Like, just do your own thing. And Crusher ended up getting, dive in here. I know. Crusher ended up getting fired uh, and then ended up doing his own podcast and his own comedy and kind of like became his own boss, right? And that was far more rewarding, and both like, I think, for, you know, for himself, but also like kind of financially, so that when Travel Channel came back to to try and say, hey, you, you know, we'd like you to come and come back, essentially, he was like, no, this is how it runs now. Like, we we kind of own the industry, or like we have our own paths in to success. I thought it was really interesting that it's you know it's podcasting that is really, um, you know, giving a lot of artists that avenue. Um, so I mean, it, it just kind of. I thought it was a really interesting um, comment on on how the industry has changed. Hard to get um, the one challenge that I know that a lot of podcasters have versus movies and music, tech. You know, in terms of promotion, is like it's quite hard to get discovered with podcasting because, like, the internal search engines for like Apple Podcasts and Spotify aren't really inherent. Like you kind of go to search Joe Rogan podcast or the podcast strikes back. Like obviously YouTube. Those two mainstays. Yeah, I mean, that, we, you know, we're number two there. Number two in the five <laughs> oh, did we, did meter we radius. Down place? <laughs> um, it, but I mean, you're, you're right because it's, it's not set up in the same way that, you know, potentially YouTube is where mm. there's lots of like recommended podcasts. Like, mm. you know, you kind of subscribe to a single podcast. I mean, because you're not 
actively engaging in a screen yeah. most of the time. Um, it's it word of mouth. Like, I, yeah. I, how would I have found the kink cast without Benny? You know Welcome. what I mean? Like, that was purely on word of mouth. Mm. We so, you know, it if a bus had taken you out that morning, <laughs> I would have known. It's honestly like been almost we all would have been four happier. minutes in and, yeah. and we've got a little tick of... Yeah. Um, can I get... Um, uh, can I get yeah. some kickbacks there or something? Do you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, watch that. Uh, and then I also watched two movies that I've been really meaning to get onto. Um, and I'm really glad I did. And the first one was uh, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, which is the story about the 66 Le Mans. Um, so the movie was called Le Mans in other markets. It, uh, yeah, it was. And um, we just got that weird like Ford v. Ferrari Dawn of Justice title here i mean i wouldn't know what it would know what it meant so it worked for me fluffy ferrari is a way better title um (laughs) i mean it certainly uh speaks to the the main conflict yeah although having said that well just then i was uh, yeah when you were saying like oh ford v ferrari is about you know um ford (laughs) Ford v ferrari Ferrari. (laughs) you know i mean it's it's definitely it's not that's kind of the backdrop and you know uh, the the story is really <laughs> about um about the racing driver uh, uh Ken Miles um as well as the relationship that he has with Carol Shelby um who is the one that um designed the the GT40 don't look at me <laughs> um it had four wheels that's all we know but have either of you watched this movie yet so this was the no. one film from the best picture nominees of what last year that I did not see <laughs> It was not. It, I just. I didn't never caught it. So it's be fantastic. No, it is really good. And I was kind of. I was telling my fiance. I was like, I wasn't expecting, you know, to enjoy it as much as I did. I certainly wasn't her expecting her to enjoy it as much as she did. Um, and you know, I think it just. It's one of those movies that ticked all the boxes. You know, for like gearheads, it's an awesome car movie. For people that enjoy character studies, it's it's a great character study. For those that enjoy, you know you know, suspenseful plots or, 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 you know, even witty banter and comedy. Like it's just got all of this compacted into a nice clean movie. Mm. Um, and so I thought, you know, I was just really impressed with it. And both, you know, Christian Bale and Matt Damon, I think did a really fantastic job. I mean, they're kind of staples within the industry of putting out consistent good work. Yep. Um, it did make me think though, like, has there ever been a, a, a Matt Damon performance that you have been like floored by, um, Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> that came up the other day, actually. <laughs> I love um, that cameo. That no, sorry, no, that's not the cameo that came up. It was the one from uh, Deadpool Two, where him and Alan Tudyk are um, mm. uh, hillbillies, right? Um, but no, like has there, like I think some of my favorite actors. There's at least one movie where I was like, fuck, they like they swung through the fences or they were really spectacular. So the Martian, he was mostly kind of relying on his Matt Damon charm, but he had to hold that whole movie up and I think he did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's very vanilla, isn't he? I think he's that's consistent. what you're sort of alluding to. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, what I mean is like he's, he's a bankable, of- he's a good yeah. star, like, but he's very, he's, he's, he's a celebrity actor. Do you know what I mean? I mean... Look, I've ne- I'm not I, saying that he's bad. I'm not saying that I've ever actually. Been you know what he was really good in? I actually he was really really good in that one. I think it was the informant mm-hmm. where he put on all that extra weight and it was like that sort of dark comedy. Yeah, it was like kind of a, the most he'd strayed from playing yeah, Matt Damon. Yeah, that was actually the one time where I'm like, okay, this guy's straying from the path a little bit here. That's like almost like a Philip Seymour Hoffman kind of role or mm-hmm. something. I don't know. Sorry, Philip. 
Did he? Um, did he? Uh, <laughs> why are you apologizing? Just because he's like a slightly overweight sort of white dude. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like also, I hate to break it to you, <laughs> yeah. but he's not going to hear it. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Let's not get theological yeah. over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good point. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, no, I guess my point was like I've I've never been disappointed with. I've always enjoyed him as an actor, but he's I've never watched something that has really blown me away. Mm. Which, you know, whatever. Uh, the other one that I watched was uh, The Gentleman, which was Guy Ritchie's most uh, most recent film and his kind of going back to his roots, I suppose. I think that's just coming up on a year of me urging everyone to watch that movie now. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you watched this, George? Fuck no. <laughs> I mean, did, did you like Snatch or Loved. Lockstock? Loved. So, I mean... This, this movie's is... in the list of movies Ben has mentioned that I will never watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's like, I mean, so oh, King he's Cass gone back point. to his roots. Uh, you know, it's like... Anyway, Connor, who well, has seen it, what do you think of it? Um, look, it's uh, it's really good. It's good. Like, so, it's... like, easily his best since Lock, Sock and Snatch, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of... Well, other than King Arthur, I mean... Other than King yeah. Arthur and yeah, Aladdin and Swept Away. His classics. Um, the only challenger could be um, Sherlock Holmes, depending on how much you like those movies, but um, yeah, I think this I, is look, easily his best. I am a fan of both Sherlock Holmes films, but I would probably say that this is better than those. Mm, I think this stands pretty much um, toe-to-toe with those other ones. I think it's yeah, really, I really think, great. And, and, and more so than anything else, I just, I love the the characters that he created in this film i thought mm. i thought that they were apparently he had been writing this for like 10 years mm. so it was obviously still being written when he was in that mind frame of lockstock and snatch and how old do you think 10 years ago was in my head um <laughs> it's like 1998 is 10 years ago for Connor. <laughs> yeah because 2010 I mean, yeah. 2010, yeah. 2010 was a far cry oh from lockstock and two smoking God, barrels right okay <laughs> okay well, mark, right, so how, mark how, strong's when, in this when, right when was lockstock then uh, they were like right around 2000, I think, both of those films. Yeah, I suppose then. Wow. Mark um, Strong's in this, right? No. Okay, well, maybe I will watch it. Then. <laughs> you have the most illogical, you know... No, it's no, just, no, it's no, just a bit of world it, building it. on the podcast, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just building out the mythos. It's the runner in the biz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Hugh Grant is in this film, though, and he delivers the least oh, Hugh Grant performance he's it. ever given, and he's amazing. He he's is so, so good, yeah. I was watching some of the behind-the-scenes the, um, stuff where he was trying to develop the character and trying to like figure out mm. who he is and like taking these um, nuances from 60s cinema, uh, 60s cinema and, 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 you know, kind of like bringing that in like the shades mm. and like the clothing. I mean, I thought it was really interesting that, you know, Guy Ritchie obviously has this really kind of uh, obsession with clothing. Um, and all the actors were talking about how, uh, how important it was to like dress for the character that they were trying to portray. And I think that, Hugh Grant did a spectacular job of that, mm. um, as did the other two. I, I thought Matthew McConaughey was amazing in it. I forgot he was even in it. I mean, it's it it with with so many good performances in it. It is so, mm. it's easy to forget. Well, because the one I wanted to name check, I was trying to remember his name was Colin. the the lead from King Arthur, um, Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam, who uh, you know he's obviously good. I've never really seen him in much. He's impressed me in, but he's so good in The Gentleman. Oh, he's like, this is, this just, is the role that he was made for. He's, he, yeah, he's like, he's like the kind of the cleaner for uh, crime people. And he's yeah. just like so fed up and put upon, but he's like really good at his job. And, and, and just like small little character things, like him having like a, a small spat of OCD mm. that, 
you know, I just I, I think that make these characters a little bit more, you know, multi-dimensional, uh, real, real characters. And I also just want to say, um, the man from Uncle, so nobody shouts at us in the comments because that is another good Kai Ritchie movie from yes. recent years. But I mean, <laughs> certainly not. I wouldn't. No, I this is definitely better. I'd still the say, man yeah. from Uncle over like Lockstock or Snatch. Right? No, 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 no. Um, the last thing I, I loved Colin Farrell's. Um, his his performance was awesome. Yeah, really good. Yeah, I see. I forgot he he was in it too. Such a great cast. Yeah, I mean, just you know, everyone really pulled away, and I cannot remember his um his wife's name, um, or the the woman that plays uh, Matthew McConaughey. She's outstanding. She's outstanding in this as well. Mm. Um, you know, I just yeah, I just I was really impressed with the movie, and I I went in with, you know, kind of I'd say sober expectations because mm. Guy Ritchie has not been hitting the mark that is fair that is fair although this this was on my top 10 last year or honorable mentions i can't remember which but um oh, it definitely deserves to be there it's, it's, yeah it's i really i enjoy the hell out of it anyway, nice so maybe next year in, in a year's time george will be like guys i've just watched this amazing <laughs> film you guys have to check it out never. it's called the gentleman <laughs> now he never will <laughs> i'll watch king arthur again before that one <laughs> really no <laughs> no i would i would much rather watch that other film <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you been watching anything, Georgie? I watched um, bloody hell, back to old fucking King cast. But I watched uh, Maximum Overdrive, which is a film that Stephen King directed from 1986. Did you watch the actual film? Yeah. Oh, cool. And I watched the it Stephen with Stephen King directed. Yeah, mm. it's the only film he's ever directed. Mm. So it's basically about all these cars and machinery that come to life and. It's hilarious. It's and the, like the main kind of mascot truck that's in all the imagery mm-hmm. has like the green goblin, the green goblin face goblin for some from reason. Spider-Man. Yeah. And then that truck has actually gotten destroyed and somebody's found the, there's this whole sort of story around that truck. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I watched this with, I've watched, I watched this through twice actually because I watched it with the commentary right. of the King cast, which had Nacho Vigalondo from, who directed Colossal, that film with mm-hmm. Anne Hathaway. And I've never done one of these commentary watch along things before. They're this great. is the first, dude. So much better than watching a creator commentary. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> they don't give a shit. Like, and it was just so interesting to see, like, especially someone of the caliber of Nacho, like, an actual filmmaker, mm. hearing his thought process around, you know, some of these things. And there's so much interesting stuff in this film. Um, particularly, probably the highlight in terms of film nerdery is the there's some sort of conjecture around whether or not David Lynch directed a certain sequence in Mm. this film. Mm. Um, And evidently like Stephen King was getting, there's a certain sequence in this film that is very different from the rest. And it's like a lot. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so it's sort of like, it's, it's sort of like, I don't know. There's like that mystique around some of those older films and some of these tales that would come that aren't as prevalent these days. And it sort of got me thinking about like, you know, the rise of social media. And I know that's a bit of a boring topic, but some of that mystique and what, you know, you would hear like Alice Cooper or like, you know, Ozzy Osbourne ate uh, the head of a bat. Spielberg directed Poltergeist, which everyone just accepts now. And all these sort of myths and legends that come out of the the fold. And and I don't know, I kind of love that more. I don't know. It's very satisfying for me. Anyway, Maximum Overdrive, it's schlocky. It's terrible. Another really interesting thing about this film is them. they sort of talked about how it felt like a very 70s film, mm. but it was released in the mid-80s. And so, you know, this is – Stephen King is a guy 
using a medium that he's not really fully at. You know, he's thinking a movie is from a different era, a great movie is from a different era, not something current, relevant for that time. So it's a very interesting hodgepodge kind of a thing. And he was probably on a lot of coke at the time as well. Massive coke. Mm. Massive, massive, massive. I'm impressed that you actually watched the film before listening to the commentary. I would have jumped straight to the commentary and the film. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was like... um, It's not a great experience, to be honest. Like, just watched it with the commentary. Um, (laughs) That's my... But... um, yeah, like Dawn of the Dead with trucks, some like a lot of cat, like Emilio Estevez. It's got um, you know, Gus from Breaking. No, not Gus. Um, who's the main bad guy in Breaking Bad? Which one? Um, the guy from um, The Mandalorian as well. Yeah, Gus. Is that his name? Gus Fring. Yeah. Oh fuck! Oh no! Edit it out. <laughs> Cut it. Anyway, listen. <laughs> if you enjoy schlocky bullshit, I kind of never watch this. Mm-hmm. Go watch this. Did you watch my suggestion? This uh... yeah, yeah, but this is on another level. To that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a well-made film. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's me done. Cool. Um, well, I've had a busy week. I am the one who has not really watched anything. Doesn't happen very often, but no, no. Let's get into the news. Got to re-examine my life. Um, yeah, I only really had time for the uh, movie book club, which we'll talk about later. Um, so first up, we had some some kind of big news here. Very unsurprising, but uh, fairly big. Uh, about Quibi, um, the streaming service that Wait, what launched... did you say? What? What did you say? Quibi. What? Huh? Yeah, what? Quibi? Who? Quibi? Quibi. What's happened? Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg's Quibi, um, the streaming service uh, exclusively for your phones um, that specializes in like seven to nine minute content. Um, it launched only, what, like six or seven months ago. Everyone in the world unanimously was like, "That's a bad idea." The, the funny thing is, is this sounds like some something like a tech executive would think of that doesn't consume content. Yeah, mm. it sounds like, like a boomer's idea of what young people want. Yeah, like exactly. they're always on their phones. Yeah, they're always on their phones. They want short, consumable content, and it's like, you know, no, dude, there's three hour podcasts that people listen to. But also, everyone wants every type of content. Yeah, mm-hmm. also seven second things that you can only get on your phone. Yes. If 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 you're going to do an exclusively phone oriented thing, it better be low quality, low time, low like engagement. Disposable. Yeah, like Snack, tic- TikTok, snackable content. TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter. These are all things that are are well placed. Instagram from TV didn't take off either. Um, I just can't think of any market that would want this. There's got to be some people out there, but basically they, they, they fucked this so hard. They don't even own any of the rights to any of the content they produced. Um, that was all creator owned, which is a great move for the creators. Yeah. Um, but it's completely there's fucked no- them because they can't even sell this platform to anyone now because there's just no worth. There is a useless app. They announced um, uh, maybe a month ago that they were going to be creating a, like a television app so you could watch it on TV as well. Um, but you know, so far after they'd launched, they like, yeah. they should have had that from day one. Cause why limit yourself to something no one wants anyway? Like just do some focus testing. Um, but, but, at the same but time, they're, like, they're shutting down on the 1st of December when they announced that they're shutting down, they have 500,000 subscribers globally. 500,000. That seems 500, like quite a lot. No, it doesn't. No, that's like pitiful. <laughs> Uh, I I have no sort of barometer on these kind of, these sort of things. I mean, things. like Netflix would lose that many subscribers in a day and okay. not blink. 
I mean, right. not really, but hmm. <laughs> to kind of put it into perspective, like it's yeah. just, it's, it's to be a viable, you know, platform where you're actually making money. Yeah. I mean, you just need so much more. And that number of people I think would fully be explained by 500,000 people signing up and forgetting they forgetting, signed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just it also just didn't have even if they had a had had a TV app, I don't just don't see the value add. Yeah, I don't see the QBZ. product market like, fit. Like, I mean, to do like that's a very niche thing, right? And you know, I'm always a bit suspect on um, these kinds of platforms that go too niche. Like, I I don't know what the longevity of something like Shutter is really going to be. Was it freemium? Like uh, was this was this no, uh, was a subscription? Of, I was it like YouTube? So there was no like YouTube and then YouTube Red. It was like you're either in or you're out. Yeah. I mean, see that. I mean, that's a huge ask. I think I might have heard that there was no free trial either, and in, initially, which is, yeah. I mean, I think that's just they've then, gotten so many things wrong. They're um, basically competing against YouTube. Yeah, I mean, is what they're essentially doing. I mean, the, yeah, the if you want to see like, the world of you know award-winning short films, they're all on YouTube. But so, the thing yeah. is, is when I think there's a level of niche, Connor, that would work. Like if we were doing some kind of like, sort of, not even a streaming service, but maybe even a course or something that was like super niche to something like this oh, yeah, could work. But wrong. it's like they're they're in this sort of no man's land kind of like yeah. in between. Not not enough mass appeal and not enough niching yeah. down, and that's been the don't get me wrong the sort of um the I'm, main hurdle that they've had to overcome and it hasn't worked. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not against niche products. Yeah, I'm. It's got to be probably scaled. Though. It's it's it's, it's in ratio it, to that to like how much is the cost of producing this entertainment, and that's and where you talk about shutter and very yeah. expensive. You talking but about it's shutter is like how much does it cost to put these things together versus the amount of subscribers they can actually gain. It's that, and it's balancing with diversification, right? Because, um, you know, if you're niche, it means that, you know, you're really banking on one thing and one thing only. So if, you know, horror has wax and wanes or, like, different types of movies have, you know, more popularity in certain times than others and others, mm. right? Like, it's that kind of thing. So you're really at the mercy of a particular... Um, cultural movement, I yeah. suppose. Whereas something like Netflix is, well, it's quite diverse. Like, you know, they've got comedy section, they've got horror section, they've got like... But you could say, hey, the cinema's got the comedy movies, the cinema's got the this movies. Like, it does have also the way you integrate integrate with the, the actual content itself that is... Yeah, I just want to jump in and say that from all reports, I haven't seen anything on um, Quibi. I've already forgotten its name. Um, but from all reports, the content does range from like you know shitty to like really good. Like there's they brought I'm in a lot. They brought yeah. in a lot of fantastic creators, put a lot of effort into creating content for it. Um, if I was a creator, I'd be on this so damn quick because, as you said, you you well no, you own your own content. That it's that's that's a plus. But platform anyone could have seen it was a sinking ship. Well, yeah. Um, but but, yeah. but what, like one really cool what thing they, it did, they made a new season of, well, you'd just be embarrassed to be associated with it, I would think. <laughs> um, they made a new season, season of Reno 911, a show that I absolutely love. Um, did they really? They did, for Quibi, um, which I think is, is kind of cool. But um, yeah, there was like uh, Sam Raimi's 50 States of Fright, I think it was called, like kind of a, a horror anthology that had its yeah. ups and downs. What's that new streaming service? Sam that? Raimi had a streaming service on it. had a show on this. Yeah. See, their publicity team has done a terrible job. <laughs> 
I don't know if it even launched in Australia necessarily. What is the streaming service mm. that is getting a lot of, or I'm seeing a lot of ads for in Australia? It has. We live in a, a world of targeted advertising. I literally only see Shutter ads. Yeah, I see Shutter. I have it. <laughs> um, it's one that uh, it has like Christoph Waltz and uh, one of the Hemsworth brothers in this like. Sounds awful. Oh, it looked awful. But I was just, I, I was kind of surprised. Sounds like an Amazon Prime thing, but. I might have seen the ad in on Amazon. Oh shit! I've watched the Barnett movie. Oh, is it? I was going to ask you about that earlier. I totally forgot about that. Can you look up Christoph Waltz and? Uh, Man, that was Christ? actually hilarious. I've got to say, like, um, is it like good hilarious, bad hilarious? I'd say they could have shaved off fifteen minutes of it. Just a couple scenes went on a little bit too long, but like, well, well riff- written in terms of referencing back to the first one and stuff. I watched the first ten minutes or so of it last night. Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious. I'm really keen to watch the whole Dude, thing. Dude, it is hilarious. From, like, as I said, some scenes, like, okay, let's... But overall, hilarious. That's the movie. I'm just and that no, Rudy okay, yeah. Giuliani section <laughs> at the end. Oh, my God. What it was. fucking... Yeah, so, we're having two conversations right now, but yeah, that, yeah, that, that. That, that Giuliani I, stuff is insane. That's, that's bizarre, and that's obviously gotten a lot of playtime in the media right now. Um, just to kind of give you some context as to the conversation that me and Ben were having, um, uh, the the network that I was trying to think of that was advertising in Australia, you know, a month ago was Quibi. Quibi oh, how you say yeah, it. so uh, most dangerous game with was the, the series Hemsworth and um, the the less famous Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz. Sounds dumb. It um, looks dumb, and I, I was I was really sounds sp- like a disgrace. It just it felt like. A very strange move. Anyway, Quibi, we hardly knew you. I wanted to talk about this once and exactly once and only once. And we'll never think about it again. What an abject failure. Um, All right, next up, because I needed a thumbnail, we'll talk for 20 seconds about um, Tom Holland's first um, official image as Nathan Drake in the Uncharted film. All right, Connie, you've played Uncharted? I have not. You haven't. What? George hasn't. But it seems very much down my uh Yeah, hundred percent. Down your alley. That's a new one. Um Whoa. that's exciting. Um, <laughs> that's cool, dude. Not that up your alley is any less euphemistic. Um, <laughs> um but, so all right, I'll talk about it then, because I played the games. Um Have you really? Of course. I I've yeah, who hasn't played Uncharted? <laughs> I, I knew George Mo- Most of the people here. <laughs> statistically, that is correct. Um, Ash. <laughs> um, looks like Indiana Jones with Tomb Raider. So I'll just say with- he looks the part much more than I expected. I thought he was a ridiculous idea for casting. Everyone wanted Nathan Fillion for years because he is that character. Spot on. He's way too old for it now, but... Um, he he looks pretty spot on. I'm I'm wondering if he's going to still be doing his kind of like really young nerdy manic voice. I assume he can do something I don't know else, but how else he's going to? Because like, I have heard the voice actor for it's Nathan Drake, isn't it? Yeah, Nolan North is the actor. Um, and everyone has heard his voice. He's in so many things. Does not he does not or like Tom Holland does not sound as though he can pull that kind of voice mm. off. Yeah, but who knows? He's a great actor. Maybe but, he can. But doesn't he just win on that? Like. I mean, was, what, what has any? Okay, happening? put it this way: has has there been any reaction to say that he doesn't look the part? No. Yeah. When he was first cast, there was. Tons. But like, don't you think oh, that's? Yeah, yeah. Don't you think a lot of that's to do with just like how much everyone loves the kid? Like he is just generally, yeah. you know, like 
He yeah, was always I don't, going, I don't think there's a single fan of the game who was like, oh, that's a good casting choice. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. No, he, no one he was looks, on board with this when this was announced. So he looks not, better than I thought. Uh-huh. Yeah. Also, uh, speaking of interesting casting choices, his um, like his co-star is Mark Wahlberg playing his friend Sully. Um, and it seems like they've already they've already had a bit of controversy behind it because we've seen one image of, of Mark Wahlberg on set or something. He doesn't have a mustache. The character Sully is known for one thing and one thing only. That's all right, they can just CGI it Having in. a mustache. No well, problem. he has actually appeared on Instagram in the last few days with a mustache. I think, I think it's a short little video. He's just going, don't fucking ask. And uh, so I don't know if they're reshooting him with a mustache now because everyone freaked out on the internet. But uh, as long as they get the mustache, then the movie will be great. That's, that's the thing. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about Mark Wahlberg, but, mm. you know. I'm, he's he's going to be in the movie. That's he's a bad man. That's decidedly for sure. he's becoming less and less a fan of his. I, I yeah, yeah. I think ever since I he he appeared in that Boston bombing film, mm. which I've never watched, and I I'm just on principle opposed to Transformers. Didn't, didn't he? Just seems like a very normie <laughs> kind of dude, you know. Also, who like violently assaults people and permanently yeah. damages them. Yeah, that was all from a while back, though. He said sorry. That was, yeah. <laughs> he gave, yeah, he gave the guy it. a new eye. Yeah. Well, no, he didn't do that. <laughs> he, he took it. He took Why it not? He's got him. the money. Yeah. Isn't that a bit bizarre? Like, you know, the, Mark Wahlberg is like kind of like a darling of Hollywood. Particularly, what was his... He, he's a bad boy, though. Like, specifically, he's a bad boy. But he recently did a... Like, he did some kind of... St- not stunt, or he did something that, that really put in him a lot of good... Oh, he, like, donated half his earnings to his co-star or something like that. Mm. People love him, um, but Chris Pratt, who is well a bit of a yeah insufferable, um, is 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 absolutely vilified out there. Okay, let's not blow it out of proportion. We all we all saw the same headlines that were like Chris Pratt's getting crucified on Twitter yeah. and oh, all the yeah. MCU I mean, yeah. stars and saving. He yeah. probably got a couple of nasty comments on there. Nobody gets like you can't say my, anything I online without it blowing point up. Is like, is that he got headlines about this, whereas Mark Wahlberg just like. Has a genuinely horrific past. See, what, where like, I, where hey I, guys, <laughs> listen, and each their own, no issue. But the disconnect I have for those guys is just like how you know Mark Wahlberg is very, very religious, and same with Chris Pratt, and they put it very front and center mm. with their persona that they put out there to the world. And I, I for some reason, when that kind of stuff happens, it kind of goes over my head a little bit, and I, I. I you know, it's just like I'm not connecting. You know, you know, it's, that's just it. That's just it in the fucking nutshell. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. But yeah, fuck Chris Pratt. You know? <laughs> Vilify him. What a Pratt. Vilify him. <laughs> yeah, I, I just that the story was weird to me because it just seemed like the um, I don't know. It, one MCU actor must have seen something that sent him over the edge because stars don't normally engage on this level with like internet hate. That was, so that it's was so the weird. They all took it so seriously. Like, like they don't all get had has have the worst things said about them all day, every day mm. by so many people. They're all just like like Chris Pratt was actually under attack. I don't know. It does make you think about how much they all hated Brie Larson because she was but evidently, she was but genuinely, she evidently she upped her security and everything. Like she got it real bad. Yeah, she, no, yeah. She, none of them came out then, did yeah. they? So <laughs> like, I, I wonder if that's. I mean. But like they just must really not conclusion. Like Brie Larson, Larson, terrible person. But don't you feel like when you see a lot of those articles nowadays? You, are, when I see those articles, I'm like, I, I'm in an algorithm. Yeah, like yeah, you know, totally. I, I, yeah. I, I, whenever, whenever someone is like, you know, put in the media for having done something bad, it's I'm, like I'm fuck, so man. disconnected from it now in terms of like, yeah, I don't know whether this is genuinely bad 
or like you know someone hunting for a headline. You know, yeah. some people out there want to cancel Kevin Spacey. I've, I haven't I mean, read any of the articles, but what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, you know, American Beauty. Come on, fuck. I haven't seen that. He was the American Beauty. That, right? that was a movie. Right? Um, <laughs> yes, I, I can see how we can like you know equate. Um, Don't make it fun of you. I'm just, I'm just being silly. <laughs> oh god, I definitely wasn't equating them. Um, anyway, you should. They're both monsters. Yeah, they are both monsters. Um, no, no, he climbed on that roof in Jurassic Park too. He'll pay for it until the end of time. He, yeah, if you're gonna hate him for anything, hate him for that time. movie. Jurassic Worlds, he deserves to be. If it, everything is built upon that foundation, so. <laughs> yeah, I see. I see. Um, so we heard um, from Variety and Forbes this week that. Uh, MGM is out trying to sell No Time to Die, the new James Bond movie, to streaming services. For $600 million. Apparently their price was $600 million, which the talks did not last very long. Um, so that I, I think all that really illustrates to us, this isn't much of a news story, but it, it just kind of really points out how unstable the industry is right now, how desperate people are. Um, this company is putting an impossible price on this movie because that's what they think they need to do right now. No one wants to pay that. It's kind of a no-win situation. Because you know, know you know you need to have a return, right? Because yeah. like, okay, the next movie is going to cost two hundred million, so we need to have two hundred million profit from this one, and it all needs to kind of roll. Like, there's kind of like this sort of cash flow roll that the industry has, and now with that disruption, that whole model is fucking in on its head. And I follow um, the filmmaker Alex Proyas mm. on on um, Facebook, and he's just put out a short film that's trending quite well. He's put out some analytics, and he's he's been putting out a lot of stuff saying like, hey, I think. There's a lot of new interesting things on the way. Mm. Um, and I think this disruption is actually going to bring out something really good. <laughs> Quippy. <laughs> I've heard about it. Seven to nine minute short film content. Whoa. High quality. It's got Remo 977 on it. Remo? Um, That's it, yeah. <laughs> Finding Remo, I think. is <laughs> Reem. Um, I, I want to know what the average movie, uh, the price, the average price that movie production companies are selling to streaming because they did a round table of um, execs of, of production execs. Um, you know, and they had one from Jesus. It was one of the big ones, but like not paramount, maybe paramount. Um, and he was talking to the guy that runs Netflix and he was like, the more shit we can do together. Like you want to keep buying our movies? Fucking sweet. Mm. He seemed real happy with that situation so i gotta assume that netflix is paying at least a decent like this can't be this this looked like a good thing for this guy like this this guy that runs a production totally if they could cut out all the uncertainty of the box office yeah and just sell directly to these streaming services but it doesn't seem to make much sense for netflix like certainly not paying that amount of money for a movie which would certainly bring in subscribers but it would also set up a weird expectation for them to be producing content at that level, which like a Netflix movie and a new James Bond film are very different. But also right you now, have to right also now. think of also like the cat, the revenue streams that like a production company could bring forward. Like mm. if they sell onto a streaming service, you know, think about all the licensing, licensing opportunities like Funko pops. Do you know how much MGM are probably making off Funko pops versus box office? Mm. Shit, man. Like, you know, there's a lot of different angles to this, and they're just being a bit greedy here. I believe. I think like or they de- just or know. desperate. I mean, at this yeah, point, maybe. how much have they wasted on marketing? After yeah, six hundred million dollars of- would be what they need to cover their asses right now. I think. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. Well, they because they've marketed this movie sev- like several times because it came very close to release. 
um, before they had to delay. So this was meant to come out in what, like March? Yeah, something like that. Like it was, it was ages ago that this was meant to, and then they had another run where it was going to happen. And because this was, this is, but one it's of the not like sink or swim the- on this one thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I think for I know MGM, MGM it probably is. Yeah, yeah, with James Bond. Well, yeah, I know MGM. They already went bust yeah, a few years well, ago. I don't know who true. owns them now, but um, what what other big properties does MGM have? The Hobbit. <laughs> that whole debacle. <laughs> That's why it was in development hell for so long. Yeah. So I mean, this this might be a sink or swim for them. Um, yeah. I I just I think that they're trying to offload this so that they don't lose money on it. Yeah. I think um, it's a very old school movie making mentality they're going with right now. Well, um, it was. It. I mean, it's. Yeah. It was. It was designed for a world that hadn't yeah. had to go for for streaming. And do you think Bond is going to be like that title that everyone's going to? You know, like maybe actually, you know what? Saying it out loud, maybe streaming is a good place for Bond. You know, it kind of has that old family appeal in a way. Mm. And I think it could bring in people who have kind of not necessarily jumped on yet. And think about like think about like them selling the back catalog to Mm -hmm. streaming service. You know, like or just you know having the entire thing. I mean, those are all on um, Prime. I think all the Bond movies. It's on something. but that's a new licensing opportunity, right? Like if they sold it to Netflix, mm. for example, I don't know if there's any um, current bonds on Netflix, so they could just sell them the entire catalog plus this. Um, but at any rate, I th- look, I think it would be a good idea to be on a streaming service. I don't know if it's worth $600 million. Like, I mean, the whole idea of bringing those kinds of you know, properties onto these um, streaming services is to garner new, new, um, new users as well as maintain old users. As it stands right now, I'm not. Most people aren't thinking about losing their Netflix subscription, um, and they're not requiring something like Bond. And you know, if there was anything that was going to bring in new subscribers, I feel like the pandemic would have done it. Yeah, all all I know is that this is the end. So pack it in, <laughs> pack it the fuck in. No time to die. Some time to die. For Bond, uh, you know, or for for. Uh, the traditional form Everything. of <clears throat> releasing films. Like, you know, evidently, you know, again, stuck in an algorithm, who knows what I'm reading, but evidently AMC are trying to sell up and it's going to be like nigh on impossible for them to get something half decent mm. because I mean, yeah, who's who's, who's looking to get into the movie industry right now? Yeah. No, I, I haven't. In, in terms of cinema industry, sorry, I should say. Mm. The Cinemaplex industry. Oh, well. Yeah, it's wild. What's that? Um, finally, we just got some news released today. Oscar Isaac um, is joining the MCU. Um, Disney, a new Disney Plus show was announced, uh, Moon Knight. I think they already announced the show, but they just announced his casting today. Um, to give you the simplest ex- explanation of who Moon Knight is, he's basically Marvel's Batman, except he's like Batman if Batman maybe had... Um, dissociative identity disorder because he has sort of has mystical powers or he's um, has multiple personalities. Okay. It's kind of left ambiguous, I think in some of the stories. Um, but can they get the objective truth by like Scarlet Witch, you know, <laughs> give us the lowdown. Oh, you go ask her. Sure. She might know. Okay, but, yeah, um, okay, yeah, I might. I, I do not know. Unfortunately. Okay. Um, so Oscar Isaac in the MCU, I think that's huge. Poe Dameron. But his biggest role, what everyone knows him for, what everyone loves him for. Um, Do they love him? Nobody, nobody loves nobody those movies loves anymore. Him. They're in the real, the real bad books. But um, 
Yeah, so that, I think that, that's a very interesting point we're at where Oscar Isaac, one of the biggest rising stars in the world, is joining the MCU for a TV role. I am in such a no fucks given with Marvel right now. Like they need mm. to get some shit in front of me. Like I need this. Um, well, what's up next off the ranks? One division, I believe. One division. One division. Is first up, yeah. I need that. Then I we'll need get that. Captain America. I need that. Black Widow. Because you know, you know twelve years of out. incredible like A list content. Every year delivering. And I'm I'm there enjoying it every single time. They they drop off for six months. You're in the bin. I know. How, you're in the fucking bin. How greedy have we become? Where it's like <laughs> we don't get Marvel con like consistent Marvel content yeah. for like a blip, and we're like, oh fuck that, you know, production company that has, you know, supported us with content for the last decade. You know, they, there is something that happens. It's called getting older. And you know, never. Uh, you know, is there a chapter? You know, I definitely felt like there was a chapter closed, even with Infinity War. Like Endgame, I don't look at Endgame as fondly as Infinity War, and I almost feel like once Infinity War happened, I almost and Ant Man as well. I didn't dig Ant Man and the Wasp. Do you not think all it would take would be another one you really like though to come out? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So one division comes out, you're all you're all back, in again. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that even happens with what what the existing MCU. Like, I'll 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 think back on some movies and be like, eh. And then I'll rewatch and be like, you know what? Fuck yeah. Mm. I'm on board again. I don't know. I just, I guess this year is just so fucking weird. It's hard to really know what's up and what's down. It's been a wild ride. And to, and, and to think that like how many movies have been pushed back, that really, like, that fucks with me when I think about it. Like, I guess right now for me, I'm actually really, you know, like Mandalorian's coming out next week. Mm-hmm. I'm not really like we're going to get into it and we'll probably do our weekly review, but I'm not like amped. Where's you your, know? where's your, where's your bliss, George? Where's your joy? I'm worried about you. I'm getting saying I, I get, I, King Cast, it's just King cast now. I, you know, I, I, but, I get what you're saying because it's not like we're content starved, right? Like every week I've got more than enough stuff to think, stink my teeth into, but there's, stinky. N- stinky. <laughs> there's nothing that I'm, there, there isn't that hype that you get, when there's like a big tentpole film coming out in the theaters, like the pageantry of it is missing. And I don't know that you can really replicate that on something that you can just switch on whenever you feel like it in your living room. Mm. Right? I think that there is a necessity behind the action of going out and seeing a film that really breeds that kind of excitement. Yeah. Um, I personally would definitely be as hyped to chuck something on at home. Um, I mean, I would make it an event like, you know, I'd have people over and do it because because I, I, nothing probably gets me more excited than a Nintendo Direct, which is Nintendo's kind of direct to consumer marketing yeah, that they yeah. do. They, they just go live on YouTube at a certain time. Mm. I will stay up till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. waiting for one of these. I'll be sitting there like looking at my laptop just like <laughs> yeah. so excited. And um, but I mean, um, even a, even a video game feels different in a way. Like if I think about it, like I'll get excited about certain games coming out there's still some pageantry behind that. Whereas like, I just don't feel the same kind of pageantry when I, when I you know, think about streaming movies or like, mm. yeah, I don't know what the last streaming movie that I was really excited for. I mean, well, I Blind mean, Manor, I was pretty, pretty A lot of that for. is, is just the, the content itself. Like, Oh, look, I, I, I don't think we can say all things are equal in that department. Potentially, but I mean, there's some really good stuff that has come out on streaming. Mm. Um, spe- uh, have you finished Blind Manor yet? No. What's going on? I still haven't watched another episode. 
I don't know. You liked it, but it made me very suspicious of it. I was, this is so weird. <laughs> like, I, I literally, I spoke to you, mm. like, down at the beach about, you know, how you were excited to finish this off. And I, I told you how good it was. He was lying and to then, your like, face. I was more like, I'm keen to see how it goes. I'm not like, I can't wait to get home to watch it. Oh, God. You just I've been very me. busy lately. No, you haven't. I really have. <laughs> Should we go on to movie book club? Let's do it. Let's do movie book club. This is my favorite part. <laughs> this uh, was my pick. Um, I, Which way are you going first? Uh, let's go Black Sheep first. Cool. I dig that. I dig that. Um, I, when we had first thought of the idea of doing like an October scary movie type thing um, and, double, and doing a double feature, one of the first things I wanted to think about, because I was pretty sure I knew the kinds of films that you guys were going to pick. And I was more or less right. Horror films. Uh, yeah. Like, your picks didn't surprise me at all. Uh, we, we, horror I, comedy from New Zealand. Oh, no, I take it back. No, actually, <laughs> no, what surprised me was the first 10 minutes of that film. Once I knew so, what was happening, I was like, okay, this feels bad. But like the, a, a serious, arty... Uh, yeah, that horror, was, that was elevated horror much... movie about a young blonde woman and a New Zealand horror comedy. Or, yeah, okay. Maybe not. I, I wouldn't have put them together, but um, actually, yeah, that one did really throw me. I was trying to remember what the second movie was because all I was thinking of was Neon Demon. Mm. Um, yours, yours felt very you as well. What were my picks again? Um, awesome, Possum and Pumpkinhead uh, is Pumpkin the third one. What was oh, the yeah, other? Yeah, yeah. But it was Trick the or treat. Uh, uh, trip or treat. Yeah, I, um, I fuck my picks were good. So <laughs> my thought, my thought initially was like, I want to bring in. My thought initially was, I want to bring in comedy, mm. um, which you kind of, actually both. both now did. that I think about it, you've both gone and like you know, I, you know, you on I, this I one. retract my earlier statement. That, <laughs> there was a little bit of that that surprised me, I suppose. Um, what happens to you, dude? I don't know. What's wrong with your I'm brain hole? I, mean, I, I make a statement, then I think about it for more than two seconds and be like, oh, that's like, just clearly what nonsense. Nonsense. <laughs> nonsense. But that flag is planted, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing on top of this yeah. hill? Yeah. <laughs> I need these battle clothes. Oh, why am I dying? <laughs> <laughs> Whose flag is this? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, I, I wanted to, to bring in something that wasn't you know, typical horror. Um, the first thing that I thought of was Black Sheep. Um, cause it was my first introduction to, it would probably be one of my first introductions to Australian slash Kiwi humor, um, which unfortunately set the bar a little high because mm-hmm. everything that I saw after that was pretty shit. Um, so you only watched Australian movies after that? Yeah, that was it. I, I really <laughs> immersed myself in the culture when I got here. Um, but yeah, I remember thinking it was fantastically funny, um, and awesomely gory. Uh, and so I thought that would be a really cool one to revisit. And, you know, it delivered in spades on both those both those fronts. Yeah, so you'd seen this before, George? Yeah, we saw this down in Melbourne. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, talked about that's, this, actually. That's when I, what was that, like um, nine years ago or something? Fuck. Probably about the same time. Oh, Terrifying, no, man. No. It feels like three years ago, but man, it's life. Um, I love how sort of like... This movie has so much love for, like, I feel like that sort of American werewolf in London, um, 80s, you know, physical mm, transforma- yeah. transformative. This is where the workshop that did the... 
the special effects on yeah. it. Yeah, and thank God, because the highlight of the film absolutely is the, the practical monster yeah. stuff, I think. I also Easily. like, but I like the, the sort of mutant, they've broken out of the facility kind of thing. It's not yeah. like, uh, there's a lot of different ways you could go down with the mutant sheep. You can go like, there's an ancient curse, or there's this, or there's that. And I liked that... They sort of cho- they sort of decided where they wanted to go with it, and I enjoyed that. Mm. It it feels indebted to to Peter Jackson's earlier stuff, yeah, definitely as well. Very much so. Um, obviously because they're both Kiwis, but um, just that really that really schlocky, um, irreverent horror comedy. Um, the the thing that was I find interesting about the movie this time was that it was definitely very enjoyable. Um. I felt like it was at its weakest when it was most trying to be funny. I agree. I think when it was playing it very straight, the sheer concept of killer sheep is so ingenious mm. um, that that was enough, more than enough to carry the film. Um, and it also, I'm not sure if it was trying to say anything, but if it was, I have no idea what it was trying to say. Because it, it, it takes an interesting approach of having these kind of like, hippie activist people yeah a big part of the movie and and you know um selling a a farm to japanese investors and whatnot and politics and i'm not sure what it was all kind of coalescing towards but uh, it was it was a bit muddled in that sense um and i thought i did think it was funny that a lot of the issues that are are very prevalent in the uh, mainstream today um were were quite like actively championed or, or, or dealt with in, in this one. Mm. Um, that was, uh, that was somewhat surprising. Um, Lab yeah. made contagion. I don't see the connection. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what you, okay. Put it this way. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but this film is really a filmmaker. If I put myself in my, in the head of this filmmaker, this guy is trying to use this as a vehicle to create practical effects. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. And on that front, that's, absolutely. That's you know, where the love of this film is. Like, it, you know, it's clearly not in the, um, you know, screenwriting. Yep. Um, it's clearly not in, um, you know, the, the ADR or the, the sound design. Um, or the CGI for one shot. <laughs> what was the CGI shot? The sheep going over the hill. Yeah. Well, then that's oh, what I watched a little thing after the words, um, and they said that there was only one CGI shot in this the sheep going over the hill. And for that reason, the post production was a really short window. Mm. They basically just had to edit the film color graded, and there you go. Yeah. Um, whilst, you know, like all the work would have been done pre production. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, creating all the. And evidently, they said it was a lot more work than they were anticipating. Um, like the amount of work that went into making these sheep really authentic and feel real. Mm. <sighs> you can see it on the screen though. Like it's it really 100%, comes across 100%. in all the creature design. It is a bizarre movie to watch because it's like, you know, some of some of the the movie is so clearly low quality. Mm. Um, and then you kind of turn around and you see this awesome, like gory special effects. Mm. Like proper like, Hollywood level. Oh yeah, and it, it's kind of like I, it's 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 almost jarring in that sense. But it also brings question to me, you know, when you're creating a piece of art, you know, a creative expression. Yeah. Um, 
you know, is this guy, is this kind of like, just kind of like, I, I, this is a, an itch I need to scratch. Mm. You know, like for the mass audience, like I don't know what this guy's gone on and done afterwards. But I feel like in a way, it's almost like there's a very niche audience for this. And a lot of those horror films where they springboard onto the next one, it's almost it's almost not done with this sort of more throwback vibe. Like you almost yeah. stay in this scene. You stay in this culty sort of schlocky scene. You don't sort of break out. I, I mean, maybe not. Peter Jackson is the exact example of not that. So maybe I'm just... Theorizing he, he bullshit. Did quite a few movies that were very much in that vein. Yeah, but then he went to the big time. But yeah. I just feel as though, like, it's, you know, Peter Jackson's films had um, a bit more, there was that extra layer of something, character or something there that this one was lacking. Um, Definitely. And as I said, that that would certainly be a point that this movie was a bit weak in, which was the. You know, all the the character issues are very surface. Mm. Like all the... Kind of screenwriting 101 stuff. Yeah, Mm. very kind of basic. Um, You know, even some of the jokes were very like on the nose. Yeah. Like the... the, um, I think in 2011 it would have been... We probably wouldn't have noticed it and been as acutely aware of it. But, you know, nine years down the track, things evolve, tastes. You know, you get all the sophisticated, like things continue to get more and more sophisticated. I just watch that many more horror films. And like, I'm just aware that you can, like you can do, I think that was one of the first horror comedies that I had seen outside of um, the Wayans brothers ones. um, Scary movie. Yeah. Like, and, and so there's a bit of novelty there. It's a bit of novelty. It's, it's also known, not knowing what is possible within the genre. Like, you know, having seen cabin in the woods, my <laughs> my like bar for you know kind of gender gender genre bending yeah. is is set a lot higher yeah and that's how i frequently judge horror movies even horror comedies is it, it's such a niche and it's such an experiential genre that you kind of get desensitized to over years that you can watch something you know when we're at our level or my, my level sorry connor um and you have, you to be, you'd have to be you have to be aware that that to <laughs> that to someone you know someone just getting into the genre it might be completely different mm. and i think this movie would be fantastic for younger people mm. not too young because <laughs> it's, it's a bit rough in some areas but um, this is like a, a movie that if you're in your late teens mm. is like perfect which is when yeah. i saw if you're 15 if, 16 if you're 17 year old kid, this would be the shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's be a good time watching yeah. some like prosthetic penis get bitten yeah. by a, a sheep yeah. is yeah. like that's the pinnacle of comedy right there and I'll admit, I had a chuckle. And yeah, yeah I mean, the, the sheep fucking joke is just aces. That's an all-timer. I mean, they're <laughs> always going to win me over with that shit. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down too hard on this movie because I really think it's fantastic. I think it's um, better as uh, horror comedies go, which is a genre that I... There's a lot of really great examples, but I don't really hold it up too high. I think it can come off as way too cutesy. Compare this to that other New Zealand one we did. Mm, so I Housebound f- is like top tier for me. Far less subtle than Housebound. This one, like this one's just an outright comedy. Even, even just within the wealth of stuff going on, do you know what I mean? Housebound actually had quite a lot of layers to it, and it was kind of like this onion that was gradually unraveling. Mm-hmm. Like this one, kind of like once this, once the blood had sort of started spilt, it was like, okay, how far can we? How more? How absurd can we take it? And they, they, they nailed it. But there's sort of like, 
there's there's sort of that one lever that's going yeah. back and forth. Whilst with Housebound, I felt there was like, oh my god, what mm. this guy's in the walls? Yeah, what the fuck's going on it, right? here? You know, and that's just that's just the story. And again, what are they trying to execute here? They're trying to make dope practical sheep, yeah. essentially. And if that was the number one criteria, they nailed that completely. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I definitely found myself sitting there, kind of like waiting for the next killer sheep bit. I'm like, these are really yeah, cool. that's oh, exactly what that. this this movie felt like. Which was, you know, when they were like, you know, there was a great scene where they fell down that well onto this like you know, pad of dead, like, sheep and stuff. And mm. That scene, I was like, oh! Yeah. And then they, like, crawled through something. I was like, okay. That's, you know, they were having some, emo- you know, in air quotes, emotional mm. moment. Mm. Um, and then just, as you said, like, waiting for the next, mm. you know, kind of cool or interesting or fun scene. Very strange how in the uh, the very opening of the film, the, the clearly, like, psychopath brother kills that sheep and wears its skin to scare his brother no consequences to that no it's kind of never brought up again like he's yeah. a, he's a politician so associated path to some degree but he, he he's not really kind of shown to be that kind of evil again um yeah it was strange. very very kind of like n- none of the story actually makes sense <laughs> it's actually you know I, it sounds odd but it's quite a technical film mm-hmm. um like as we said, story 101, it was like, okay, this is character A, this is character B. Yeah. And we're just kind of inserting these things as pawns into this technical sort of like sequencing of practical effects and stuff. How do we how do we move the story yeah. to set B so yeah. we can have this scene? When you look at it on the server, it's like, oh, it's a schlocky, messy kind of thing. But it's actually like, no, when you actually break it down, there's actually like a lot of different technical things happening here. Mm. Um, and and it isn't character building. It isn't a warm, emotive thing. It's 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 something else. But I I I, I you know, like I think as I'm getting older, I'm starting to sort of get in the headspace of like what is the what is this person trying to achieve in this piece mm. and if i think about this from that perspective this is fully achieved and realized mm. yeah but for me as an audience member and being that subjectivity to it like it's lacking a lot of different things for me to for it to be a very complete piece yeah. so as i said you know when you're comparing something to like cabin in the woods or mm. where you can be firing on all cylinders mm. it's 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 tough to like it's tough not to compare yeah. So Jonathan King, I just looked up. He's only directed one film since in 2009. So wow. What was it? Uh, I think it's called Under the Mountain. Find much information on it. Um, but that that did just kind of make me think. I was giving the CGI a hard time earlier, but this movie's 14 years old, and because it's so practical, it hasn't aged at all. Yeah, agreed. Like it's hard to think of like that young lead being 14 years older now than he was. I there. thought this was like 2014 or something or 20. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is six, seven years old. Like they've done a real good job with this, and mm. fuck. It shows you how, like, shooting through a barrel of the lens, like, man, you can save you. It can keep things so much more timeless. Pro- providing that you've got wet a workshop. Yeah. You know, doing I mean, your that's, that's half of it, right? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Providing you've got wet doing your practical effects, not the CGI effects, because Fellowship of the Ring is definitely aged in that department. That, mean, cave, that cave troll, man. Like, I'm not saying it's bad, but it is CGI. Uh, bad. <laughs> Considering that that's 20 years old, yeah. at least. No, more than 20 years old. That's... That's not no, 2019. I think. Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm. That's really good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's aged worse than puppetry does. I'll give you that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So that's it for Black Sheep. I think. Yeah. Let's move on to the witch. 
And for Vovich. anyone that's watched or, or listened to the podcast for any length of time, it might be apparent as to why I picked this. But for those that don't know, basically, I watched this like when it, I watched this when it came out in theaters. When and was that? 2011 or? No, not even. It's 20, about like six years ago. 2014. 2014, okay. Mm. Um, I watched this when it came out. I was in Canada at the time. I was um, back there for a while. And uh, me and a couple of friends, we, were all, we always really loved watching horror films. Like that was a thing that we'd like to go out and do, do at the movie theater. And this one had been advertised as the scariest film, the... You know, all this kind of jazz. And I fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. You know, they had, um, I remember, I, I still remember they had like, uh, um, not Tarantino, who's the other? Uh, Shyamalan had like, they had like his quote plastered across this. And his the word carries weight, yeah, damn it. The scariest you, thing I've ever You got seen. on your knees and started weeping. And you came out yeah. of the movie and you're like, what a twist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, obviously what when we were watching it, I just, I always, I just, it was, it was a symptom of failed expectation because I was waiting for the, the kind of, um, classic horror piece and I never really got it. Uh, and I, I, I remember walking out of that film being like, ugh, just not that impressed. Um, and talking to you two about it and you guys like just thinking I was basically insane. berating you for six years because I yeah. didn't enjoy the <laughs> yeah. witch. yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd re-examine it and have a look. I th- I'm very curious to hear your re-examined opinion because number one, you know movie marketing better than anyone and you know you shouldn't get sucked into those oh, things. Yeah. But I always And do. number two, even in and of itself, as its own thing, experiencing that film for me, I was like, this is incredible. Like this is the, and, and it's understated, it's muted, it's like more indie, it's quieter, it's, it's definitely not your typical horror film, but it has, there's something there. Had you seen this before? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I saw this in the cinema. Same. Oh, I, no, 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 I didn't see this in the cinema actually, but I saw it very close mm. Yeah. after. I mean, you're, well, you're right, I like I should know it. better because, I, but I, I still remember like, I still remember all the times that I've really been suckered, like uh, Cosmopolitan? I think it was one with Cosmopolis. Them. Yeah, that's yeah, one. Yeah. That one was a, a horrific comedy yeah. of errors when it came to my Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was an I, oddity. I feel bad for these movies because you get people that come into these theaters mm. expecting one thing and it's the fucking marketing department yeah. that's gone and yeah. like, you know, buggered it up. It's not the filmmaker's fault. Like they yeah. didn't, you know, they're not the ones telling people to market it like that. Mm. Uh, I remember that one. And also Suicide Squad, I felt really betrayed. Yeah. But that was it had a good trailer. It was yeah. a terrible movie. Because <laughs> they advertised it as a good movie and then, you know, <laughs> Bait and switch. Mm. Um, How'd you find it this time? Spectacular. Oh, okay. Yeah. I I mean, I had a, a very strong suspicion that I would like this film. Yeah. You've said as much lately. Interesting. Um, That's so good to hear. Rewatched it. Um, and definitely going into it, like, I think that just having the mindset of what I'm I'm about to sit down mm. and watch, or at least not having a, like not having a very narrow or, or specific yeah. mindset. It makes all the difference. And Absolutely. It, and also where we are in terms of horror, like we've come, in a, come through the A24 renaissance. Yeah, this kind of set the template in a lot of ways. Yeah, the the feel, elevated horror, which is a term everyone hates, but there kind of needs to be a word for the things that aren't Annabelle 
This was quite yeah. novel at the time in a sea of conjuring and insidious mm. sort of so which are great in their own right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they're roller coaster rides. So this is yeah. almost like probably a little more digestible now than it was six, seven years ago. For the yeah. general audience, ha- having even having seen the template, know, the kind of yeah. the markets kind of formed and that's definitely true. Um yeah, and, and so that that helps with expectation. Mm. And having even gotten to the point where there's so many of this kind of movie now, you've probably even seen bad ones, like mm. not even ones that you just didn't like, but ones that just aren't doing it very well. Um, mm. So to see one that's in that vein, but as I think we're all kind of agreeing now, does it fantastically. Execution-wise, this movie is spectacular. In terms yeah, because where, like- where, where we always fail to communicate on this film, where I always took issue is that it does so many things so kind of like mind-blowingly well. Like, you know, it comes up at the, at the beginning of the end of the credits saying that a lot of the dialogue was lifted directly from journals of the time. Mm. Um, and that is just so evident throughout this film. I have never seen a movie that captures a period dialogue so convincingly mm. to the point where it's very hard to understand, like reading Shakespeare, but it's beautiful. And you, you get the gist of it. And you have, you know, Ralph Innocent's voice delivering these lines. Yeah. And it's If you just want like, anyone reading scripture and yeah. like mm. giving ye old English ago, like he's, oh, he's the guy for and, it. And that's where something very interesting sort of popped into my head about this was a big topic of conversation within the film world this year has been dialogue mixing, particularly with Tenet in respect to that film. And in a film like that, you know, like in a film like this, it doesn't matter that you don't understand. It's like it's within the inflections and the – you know, the tonality that I, I'm sort of understanding it. So it's okay that I don't understand it. But then in, in Tenet, I need to know those little points because it's so yeah. technical. So like, plot heavy. Whereas in this, this is an exercise in kind of nonverbal communication because you're getting words every now and then make a lot of sense to you. I don't want to overstate how much I can't understand the words because like I get what they're saying a lot of the time. 100%. But, but a lot of it's very archaic. Um, but you, you, you just get the gist of everything yeah. perfectly well, I think. And, and that's like... You know, everything needs to be so specific to like, you know, if the dialogue mixing is bad, okay, what is the intent here? And and not saying the dialogue fix, but like, you know, you could imagine some producers being on set being like, listen, nobody's going to understand this cunt. Let's get him like, let's tweak this a little bit. Let's mm-hmm. massage this script. And they didn't do that. They've gone down a certain path. And I think it's quite a rewarding um, experience for the viewer. One interesting area of this film that I'm, I'm wonder... The only area that I think is I'm a little bit like, okay, the fact that they, in my mind, there's like, there's a witch. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I kind of love the concept if they had not kind of, if, even if you just take those bits out and just like, you know, the, the psycho, not the psychosis, but the, the paranoia, the paranoia of living in that time mm. with the religious backdrop that these people had. Yeah. The Puritanism. The Puritanism, which I didn't know the much about. horror. But being like basically whatever's sort of doomed to face us—that sort of God's will. Yeah. Um, like. So that's where this movie potentially falls down for a lot of people. Yeah. Is kind of allegorically, because you know the the witch trials and stuff in Salem—that's obviously an actual historical travesty. That yeah. Wherein innocent women were brutally, brutally killed yeah. for nothing but people being afraid of Hyster- them. Mass hysteria. Have you? I mean, Absolutely. this is a, a complete tangent. But have you heard the the theory that it was some kind of like lead poisoning or something like that they think caused a good chunk I've of that. that oh, before, really? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, see, it just seeing, caused an entire town to like, wow. think that there were a bunch of witches. Seeing religious zealots. I don't think it's hard to imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Otherwise so, saying people could go down. It was just a weird fact that I heard recently. I just want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, this movie, 
just because it's dealing with kind of witchcraft, that's an area that is often tied in with um, kind of, is it doing like a female empowerment thing or is it talking about these gender issues, which I think this movie is to some degree, um, but it's it's quite complex and it's hard to know exactly what it's going for because in, you know, at the end of this movie, she becomes a witch herself. Um, and it's, it's, you can't really hold up witches and, you know, religious extremists and be like, well, one of these is a good guy. One of these is a bad guy. Um, I think I've, I've, I've struggled with it before. I think I've come to a place where I, I kind of understand what I, this movie's my, going for. My but. taking from it was very much that the, the, the supernatural aspect of that is a little bit superfluous. Like it doesn't, you know, whether it happened, whether it didn't happen is, isn't really important. Mm. I think the important part of this film is the, you know, uh, the internal struggle and, and the struggle in between characters, right? Mm. And that, you know, I didn't attribute most of the evil of this film, I didn't attribute to any supernatural yeah. aspect. It was, it was that level of just, you know, kind of paranoia. Like it's it's this, this concept that you have been taken... You've gone away from your home, mm. probably to never return to England. Yeah, you you've set up shop in a foreign land, in a dangerous land, in a harsh land. Um, you know, in Go figure this shit out in like New England. Um, cold as fuck. You know, it's cold. It's rainy. It's bleak. Um, There's a reason why I call it New England. It's <laughs> rainy as fuck. <laughs> and, and you know, this is like, uh, and just the the concept of how tough their lives would have been. You know, he was saying, you know, in, in, in the movie, he, he makes comment about how lucky they were that they hadn't had a child die up until that point. Yeah. You know, like the idea that that, that was an That's a blessing. Like, well, he has that wonderful line as well, which is something along the lines of, um, we will not let this wilderness consume us, we will conquer yeah. it. And like, that's such a good illustration of another theme of this movie is, is just kind of the, the unknowable power of nature, I guess. Like they do not conquer um, oh, yeah, the wilderness the, in this film at not all. Not even slightly. But so, I mean, the, the, the kind of interesting or the, the evil in this is is that that paranoia that mm. that you know that kind of you know righteousness mixed with pride mixed with you know just mm. and as insanity. as Anya Taylor Thomason is driven to witchcraft by the end of the film by those themes you can extrapolate that these other witches perhaps are also victims of mm. this pure puritanical society um, so it kind of it kind of works that way, and also like how alien, like you know, human beings are from nature, but how alien nature is. Like that was just how out of sorts they were. Like mm. it wasn't, it wasn't well, easy. Our our condition now is so, mm. so like it's it's so apart from from the natural order. Oh yeah, yeah, like. If you think about, like, you know, nature is just, it is just unforgiving brutal. in it's ways that, that I think that most people don't reflect upon yeah. that much. You know, our idea of brutal nature is going out camping. Yeah. Like, no. we have, you know, decades of technology that we take out with us when mm. we go. Like, an I saw a tree the other day, scared the shit out of yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, this is like, this is just kind of that that one step closer to our natural roots and that's terrifying how difficult it is how about that fucking goat as well like peter yeah. baby like I, I i there's just some really effective simplicity to this film that i love like i you know it's like when it's a lot of cutting and it's like things like we we get like even even with the ritual right like that film 
Like I had to have the big CG thing and all that. Like I like the simplicity stripped back. Like it's almost like cinema verite. Like I'm almost watching a documentary mm. in a way. And that's that's Even something that very reveal, appealing. That final reveal where mm. Black Peter speaks is mm. kind of yeah, very simple and very affecting. Yeah. Unsettling. Um yeah, unsettling's a good word for this whole film because yeah. Connor, you you kind of made the point when you were um going the other direction on this movie saying that it, it just wasn't scary. Um, but I find this movie to be so creepy and I reckon there are one or two really proper jump scares as well. Yeah. It's, it's scary. It's more than that possum scary, like that yeah, atmospheric, atmospheric, like foreboding kind of disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like, my God, how strongly does this movie start within 10 minutes? A baby is ground up into yeah. a paste and that just sets the scene so wonderfully that this is a harsh fucking world. And that's world. where I don't know. That's where, like, the psych- the human psychology of it is more appealing to me than the witch. Mm. And that's where, like, I get what you're saying, Connor. Like, I'm being a little too, like, zeros and ones with this one where yeah. it's like, I wish they hadn't had this and they would mean this. It's like, it's fine to have both. You can make it work. But part of me is just like the hell is in the human beings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that would have been almost an, a more satisfying way for me to go down. But the imagery is incredible. But I, I think that yeah. ultimately is still the message. Of the I, movie. I agree. You just have to take it a little less literally. It's, yeah, I agree. I, I think that like it, it also reinforces the idea that there is evil in this world mm. and that you have the choice yourself yeah. to succumb to that evil or, or to kind of run. Yeah. Through. Yeah. Um, and obviously this family, didn't um i love a good movie where everyone dies how this guy do sorry yeah yeah i was gonna say the lighthouse how good is the um the the wife at being just a really reprehensible character yeah um and she also has one of the standout moments of the film is when she's breastfeeding a crow oh it's just so wonderful like i love the bit where the the two deceased children show up and she's talking with them it's so disturbing yeah um this is really one of those more like insidious gets under your skin horror movies because there's not too much in the way of like jumping out at you i didn't mean to make a goat's noise because that does kind of happen in the movie but um the there is just some really really icky like oh very unsettling yeah like to have this family unit just kind of invaded by the devil and amplified by the setting like Mm. the actual setting yeah physical setting like just i don't know if they actually shot that in maine or or what but like it was that was bleak yeah so Jordan, you it. just you you just asking if this is the guy who did um the lighthouse yeah um which is it is and it's so apparent because they are the only two movies in recent history that i can think of that just have that unbelievably well researched insanely accurate old school dialogue mm. that is really hard to understand more so i think in, in the lighthouse even I would and say you can so. understand why he spe- has to spend like four years on these movies um, because writing something like that, you'd have to learn a new language practically. You've got to really let it soak in, I think. Mm. Like he's just got to live in it. I was I was curious because I, I know that at the end it says that these were actually like a lot of that dialogue was lifted verbatim from journals. I do have to wonder though if that was how people spoke back then. Or just how they wrote. Or how they wrote, yeah. Because mm. I mean like Shakespeare is not how people talked. Yeah. That was a silly made up, way of talking so no, of course yeah i am curious to, to i mean this is a very by the by but like i do wonder if that's how people spoke yeah. back then or how how even how like a certain culture spoke mm. yeah because i can see those like first settlers which were like religious nut jobs yeah um speaking like that mm-hmm. 
but yeah, that's a good point because Thomas in it at one point in the movie makes the note that she can't write her own name. So you go to one of the levels of literacy back then mm. um, would only be a certain type of person. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I don't think there's, I, I love the length of this film. Mm, 90 I mean, minutes, baby. It, it moved a lot quicker than I remembered it moving. And I think both these movies, both Black Sheep and this movie were probably about the same length, mm. but this one moved a lot quicker which is somewhat ironic because it's a far slower mm. and you know more atmospheric film. But mm. this movie, The Witch, didn't let up for a single second. Like, there's no point in which I was bored. There's no point in which I was like, let's get on to the next scene. I was transfixed the entire time. Whereas with Black Sheep, I paused it at one point, made myself a snack, came back. Mm-hmm. I wasn't too. Mm. And, and Lighthouse, I think, was not as tight as this one. I think Lighthouse was... More meandering, and yeah, I think this one is a super like there's something about that 90 minute horror film that just does it for me, man. It's a brilliant little fable, yeah, just doesn't overstay its welcome. Call it a day, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love a good epic fantasy that, that goes three hours, yeah. Give me some of that Lord of the Rings, but mm. I mean, it, it has its place, yeah. Right? And this, this is perfectly suited to, yeah. And that's, I think, it's one of the also the reasons I love. Uh, you know, short horror films because it's that perfect little that kernel of an idea. It's, it's of, the the ultimate form, yeah, yeah. for horror. Yeah, there oh, should, amazing. We, there should be some kind of streaming service that, yeah, does short does, does horror. Yeah, like seven to nine minutes. Seven to nine minutes short. Yeah, yeah maybe films, yeah. six minutes fifty-seven, but you know, something around. It'll there. be nice. huge. It'll be huge. We should be calling the shots Fuck. out there, man. <laughs> Let's get investors. Mm. Exactly. So, what's happening next week? Uh, well, next week we wanted to get a suggestion from you guys. Um, so we went to Movie Book Club to um, get the feelers out. Um, I just kind of picked myself because no one really said anything. I, did, I know, <laughs> so, I realized I didn't, I didn't respond to you in the group. I do have a preference on which one Well, we too late because we will be watching a movie that I have never seen that I've owned on Blu-ray for many years and uh, I'm well behind the times on, uh, The Blair Witch Project. Oh. And for our second one, and for the second one, we will be watching um, one another one of my choice that the podcast has not um, oh, has been working up to watching for a long time. Yes, um, I knew it. That I uh, I, I have also never seen. So finally, Movie Book Club delivers not one but two movies I haven't seen, um, and that will be Silent Hill. Damn, I am so keen on. I'm this. so mm. scared. <laughs> that I mean, that movie scared that you won't be scared at all by watching it again. <laughs> I'm war- I'm also scared that like. I've put this thing on a pedestal and it won't be scary at all. And I'll be like that one bit of like so you watch fear what? in my heart will be gone. And I'll be like, you watch the first one, like 20 minutes. Horror. I've watched the whole thing. Oh, you've watched the whole thing. Yeah. I was in the cinema, bro. Mm. Oh, I was 15 or 16 years old. That'll like I can't imagine me. that that last 20 minutes won't still be. Yeah. And Blair, which I haven't seen that. I've seen the reboot though. Mm. Which is awful, apparently. Yeah, I fucking love it. I, I like that director, so yeah. I thought it was A-list, Oscar-worthy I remember material. I, I watched the original Blair Witch with a bunch of my mates way de- back in the day. Mm. Um, and even like, by that point, it was pretty ridiculous from memory. Mm. Um, but having I'm said actually that, quite excited for Blair this, Witch. This was a movie, or this was a, like a group of friends that we would watch old horror films and basically make Just fun laugh, of them yeah. for, for, you know, for the entire time. 
Um, so it'd be interesting to see it with you guys. Good choices. Very good choices. Yeah. Go. Well, this has been the movie show <laughs> hey. starring Excellent. the podcast boys. That's it. Fantastic. That's it. All right, gentlemen, we'll we'll see you next week. See all you next week. Happy days. That's it. May all your babies have three years. (laughs) May the force. (laughs) May the force. May the the G be with Milan. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.